Thank you for joining us. As um, Brother Robert mentioned earlier on, this is our 26th week, 28th, 20, <laughs> it's been a long time, <laughs> 29th week, that we are still meeting online, and we're still praying that um, we would be able to meet on the Sabbath, but if you are available, we do meet on Thursdays for a Bible study at the, the TEC on island in Abu Dhabi, and if you are free from 6.30 until 7.45, please do come and join us. We'd love to fellowship with you together. So we've been looking at the different parables of Jesus mentioned and recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And last week we looked at the parable of the, the great dinner in Luke chapter 14. And right at the end of Luke, Jesus ends with these words. He says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that's really the context for our passage this morning because Luke begins with the notice that all the, the tax gatherers and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And of course, they had ears to hear. They wanted to hear what Jesus was teaching. But in contrast to that, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling and they were saying, this man receives sinners and, and eats with them. Well, of course, they meant this as an insult, but this charge should encourage all of us if we ever thought or we still think that we are not able to stand before a holy God who knows everything about us. And if that frightens you, be encouraged this morning because Jesus wants us to draw near. And he tells us, draw near to him and listen to him. He will receive us. And we are able to approach his throne today because of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done on the cross for us. And here in our passage, Jesus owns up to the charge of the Pharisees, and he defends himself by telling two parables that really have the same point that we are going to look at this morning. And God, grow, God goes to great efforts to seek lost sinners, and he greatly rejoices when they come to him for repentance. So if you would turn to Luke chapter 15, we're going to read the first 10 verses. Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter verse 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
Let's pray this morning before we study the Word together. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would please open our eyes to the truths of these Scriptures. And may the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us and that you would lead us into all truth. And we pray that you would help us to respond in a way that will be pleasing to you today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I have always had a special joy in finding lost things. My children seem to be especially talented with this. A couple of years back, my two sons were out boating with the, the Couch family, and they went exploring on one of the islands in Abu Dhabi. And they came across an interesting old metal box that they found buried in the sand. And my kids were very excited, and they thought that they had found hidden treasure that some pirates had left behind. And after managing to pry open this box, they discovered that inside the box were three 18-millimeter mortars that, had been, or that were to be used for long-range artillery. Jason quickly reported this to the Coast Guard, and after their inspection, they were just as surprised as everyone else at what my children had found. And it was a very exciting day for, for everybody. But I think we all enjoy finding lost things. If you're ever on Facebook, I'm sure you're drawn to all the stories of grown-up children looking for their, their birth parents or, or siblings that they have been separated from um, at an early age. It's always a joy to read or watch the conclusion of these Stories as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and friends are, are reunited once they are able to find each other again. Well, chapter 15 is all about finding lost items and finding lost people. Today we look at finding lost people and next week Pedro will show us the parable of the lost son. And our text this morning is Luke's account of two parables, and each of which describes the, the finding of lost items. And Jesus takes this common experience that we have all had in one way or another in our, in our ordinary lives, and he applies it in a very spiritual way. So my first point this morning is in verse 1 and verse 2, and that is the Pharisees' response. And that is the response to Jesus' association with sinners. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Notice there in verse 1, we hear the words, The Pharisees, and the tax collectors were coming near to listen. And as I mentioned earlier on, chapter 14 ends with Jesus saying, Let anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. So we see right off here, Jesus is saying, or, the, or Luke, who's recording the words of Jesus, is telling us that the Pharisees were not listening. The tax collectors were listening. The sinners were listening. And he wants us to hear this morning. Um, the tax collectors and sinners, unfortunately, were people that were looked down upon as immoral, 
They were looked down upon as unworthy and unclean people by these educated Pharisees and scribes. Um, they were even considered way beneath the prophet of the Lord to be associating with, with the likes of them. They could not understand this. But verse 2 tells us that the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. They were grumbling. And more specifically, it tells us that Jesus received sinners and ate with them. So they were grumbling because Jesus was doing this. They could not understand why Jesus would lower himself to eat with these types of people. And I think there is a reason why this was such an offense to the Pharisees. They were very offended by the fact that this prophet, who they, who they were ready to agree, was a, a man from God who was now associating with sinners. They were, they were offended. But why did it matter to them if Jesus chose to associate with sinners? Remember, the, the sinners found no joy in repentance of sinners at all. That was not what made them happy. We did a sermon series last year from Matthew 23 called Hypocrisy and Grace. And we studied very carefully the character of these Pharisees who were called hypocrites by the Lord. And we, we saw their agony at seeing the way lost sinners came towards Jesus. And just quickly to remind you, we saw in Matthew chapter 23 verse 5, the, the Pharisees loved the places of honor at banquets. They loved attention. They found banquets to be occasions where they could attract attention to themselves, where they could be in the limelight. And in the minds of the Pharisees, Jesus was, he was upstaging them. We see in Matthew 23 verse 13 that the Pharisees loved to restrict the, the saved people just to a few who were the elite of the, the Judaism. And these Jews, as a group, we know felt superior to the Gentiles, but the Pharisees felt way superior to all the other the Jews that were part of Israel. And they wanted to keep the saved amount, this chosen amount, to just a select few, a small number. They wanted to keep all the undesirable elements out, like the, the taxpayers and, and the sinners. And by associating with them, Jesus was sending a very clear message to these Pharisees. We see also in Matthew 23, verse 16 to 24, that the Pharisees loved to major on the minors by focusing on the technicalities. And the Pharisees set themselves up as the elite based on their expertise, based on their education, and they made the, the, the rules of the Bible very complex as they added more commentary and more rules on top of the Mosaic law that was in the Scriptures. And of course, Jesus, when he taught very simply, and when Jesus taught very plainly, he threatened to undermine their very complicated technical status and, and sets of rules that they had already laid down for the people. We see in Matthew 23 as well, from verse 13 to verse 14, that the Pharisees looked at sin as an external thing rather than a matter of the heart. And we saw that clearly even with John the Baptist. They would refuse 
to take that baptism of repentance because they didn't see themselves as sinners. And Jesus spent much time talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he emphasized the, the internal aspects of sin, not just the, the external. So Jesus knew why the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Jesus knew in their hearts exactly the sin that they were struggling with. And these two parables which he speaks in response were directed towards the, the bad attitude of the Pharisees and the scribes. And we have a very important lesson for us today in these recorded and inspired words of Jesus Christ. So this is the context in which Jesus is at this banquet, in which he is communing and fellowshipping with the unclean, and where the scribes and the Pharisees are grumbling against him. And he tells two stories. The first story is of the lost sheep. And the second story is of the lost coin. And interesting, in both stories, he makes the main character in the story somebody that the scribes and the Pharisees would never have looked up to. And that's my second point tonight, today, which leads from verse 3 to verse 7. We see the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the lost sheep. Well, in the first story from verse 4 to verse 7, the person, the main character, is a shepherd. Now, Jesus meant to bring to our minds all the wonderful things that the Old Testament teaches us about shepherds. Because in the Old Testament, the shepherd is so often an image of God. And in Psalm 23, which we read this morning, it, God is described as our shepherd. And Jesus meant to do that. So look at verse 4. What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven, over one sinner who repents, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So we see in this story, there is a wealthy man who owns 100 sheep. He probably hired a, a family member to take care of the, the, the flock. And the shepherd is not a, a hireling, he's not a, a stranger, he is a member of the extended family, and he naturally feels responsible before the entire family clan that any loss is a loss to all of them. And this really explains the, the joy in the community that is reflected at the center of this, this parable. So in short, the extended family, they, they lose a sheep and the whole clan rejoices when, when it is found. So of course, the owner lost one of his sheep. And Jesus did not say um, what caused the sheep to get lost. We don't know how that happened. Um, lost sheep are easily uh, disorientated when they lost. It wasn't an uncommon thing for sheep to go wandering. And when they do go wandering, they are, they are prone to predators. They are defenseless. And danger awaits them. They do not find their way home by themselves. They, and they're not very able to do that. And all they can do is really wait for the shepherd to rescue them. And I think this is a wonderful picture 
of what Jesus does for us. This is a wonderful picture of our own spiritual condition. Apart from Christ, we are completely lost. We are prone to the attacks of the devil. We are prone to all sorts of dangers. And we are unable, we are unable to find our way to God. We are defenseless against spiritual danger. All we can do is wait for Jesus to rescue us. And of course, the shepherd goes after the one that is lost. He does everything that he can in his power. He expends much energy and much effort to find the one that is lost. And that's a beautiful picture, not of us, but of Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who goes out and finds his sheep. Um, the Pharisees were, were, were not unfamiliar with this image. They understood that um, the Old Testament referred to um, God as a shepherd and the people as his sheep. And they understood that they were supposed to be spiritual under-shepherds of Israel looking after God's sheep. But they did not understand that Jesus was the good shepherd the Bible talks about, whom God had sent to seek and to save the lost. And like the shepherd in the parable, Jesus came to earth to seek and to save the lost. And when we are lost, when we have wandered on the far hills of disobedience, when we are alone and afraid, when we are wounded and when we are weak, when we are defenseless against our enemies, when we are unable to save ourselves, it is just then that Jesus comes to our rescue. And of course, Jesus, Jesus seeks and finds every single lost sheep of his. The fact that the shepherd is the one who is seeking and finds the one that is lost should give us immense security and comfort. The 99 already safe and already protected, but he goes out still to find the one that is strain. A wealthy man easily could have handled the loss of 1% of his um, income being lost. And if you, you think of it like that, it was. It was one out of a hundred. One out of a hundred is not a big loss. It's, it's marginal. It's not something that people would be very concerned about. But this isn't just an ordinary person. This isn't just an ordinary boss. This is talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus had no cavalier disregard for the loss of one sheep. And that should bring us much comfort and much hope. Jesus will find every single lost sheep. The Bible tells us that. And not one will be left in the wilderness. And not one will perish. I hope this is encouraging you. And the caring shepherd, he, he picks up the lost sheep and he, he carries it all the way home. But instead of doing it grudgingly and, and even irritated, he does it rejoicing. He does it rejoicing. Notice that picture here. Jesus finds every lost sheep and he brings them home rejoicing. He brings them home rejoicing. No one will perish. 
No one will be left behind. I hope this encourages you this morning. If you've had on your heart been praying for a lost family member for many years, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope for your unsaved wife or your unsaved husband or your unsaved children or your unsaved neighbors or your unsaved friends. Keep praying for them because the truth from the scriptures this morning is that Jesus seeks and finds every single lost sheep of his. The third point is in verse 8 to verse 10. We see the parable of the lost coin. We see now the second parable. Same truths, but I think a different application. Look at verse 8 with me. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And just as the shepherd would be touched by the loss of just one sheep, the loss of part of the family's finances would deeply touch this woman of the house. We see in our parable here that Jesus says the woman had 10 silver coins and she only lost one. Now, one silver coin was a day's wage for a laborer. It wasn't just a small amount of money. It is likely that the 10 silver coins were, were given to this woman by her husband to provide for the family for the, for the week or for two. And she may have tied the, the coins up in a, in a cloth, but the knot somehow got loose and, and the coin fell out. And she knew that the coin was in the house because she had not been outside. Uh, and it was getting dark, so she lit a lamp and she swept the house thoroughly. And looked diligently until she found the coin. She had to. There was, there was not much light. She needed a lamp. And as she's sweeping, she sees this crack in the floor. And she looks further until she finds it. And look at verse 9. Look at the response after she finds this. She calls together her friends and neighbors, saying... Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Rejoice with me, for I had found the coin that I had lost. When we lose something and then we find it, we want others to share in the joy, don't we? I remember while living in India... We planned to go back to South Africa for a holiday. And before we did that, Kerry and I went shopping for, for gifts for our friends and our families that we hadn't seen for uh, a very long time. And Kerry spent a, a lot of effort in doing that, in doing that well. So with our bags fully packed and fully loaded, we arrived at um, the airport in Mumbai and checked in our luggage. And we flew from Mumbai to Nairobi, and then from Nairobi to Johannesburg. It was a long trip, but after 14 hours, we found ourselves standing at the luggage carousel waiting for our bags, which never arrived. 
they were lost. With all these gifts and presents we had spent so much time and effort purchasing. And of course, the church back in South Africa did everything they could to, to help us and wherever they could. But eventually, after 10 days, our luggage was found and it was delivered to our doorstep. And of course, with great joy, I sent messages to all of our friends who had been praying that our lost luggage had been found. And there was much relief and there was much joy as everybody started rejoicing with us that our lost bags had been found. And likewise, I think we should all rejoice with people when especially they come to find Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes to find them. And that's what the passage is teaching us this morning. We need to rejoice when lost sinners become Christians. We want our brothers and our sisters in Christ to rejoice with us that an unbeliever has received the gift of eternal life. In fact, that's what, that's what baptisms help to do. We come together to watch somebody go under the water who is testifying of their salvation in Jesus Christ. And we're there to celebrate with them. We're there to rejoice with them because a lost sinner has come to Christ. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 tells us, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Notice there the word just so. Just so is translated in other versions as in the same way. So the two, ba the two parables are connected to each other by this, this one little phrase. And heaven's joy at the repentance of, of one sinner is like the rejoicing that is happening in these two stories. God delights in the repentance of sinners. God delights in the repentance of sinners, and so should we. I don't want you to miss this very careful statement in verse 10. Look there in verse 10. Now we tend to think that it is the angels who are rejoicing. But actually Jesus is saying, there is joy before the angels of God. So who is rejoicing here? It is God who is rejoicing before the angels. It is God who is rejoicing before the angels. God is filled with joy when a, when a sinner repents of his or her sin. And heaven is filled with that joy. It is interesting that the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin are, are similar. And they, 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 they have symbols that are, are, are very um, similar. But there are some differences. Both of these stories talk about repentance. Um, now the sheep, for instance, they living objects. And they could, they could bleat as much as, they, as, much as their, their lungs would allow them to in order to, to, to bring help towards them. But I think Jesus is making sure that we understand this is not about us. This is not about what we can do. So he, he gives a second parable about a coin. A coin is not a living thing. A coin has no life. And this coin is a picture of really, of our helplessness. 
of our spiritual condition. We can't bleat out to the world for help, to the Lord for help. Apart from Christ, we are lost. We are in that, that crack, in that floorboard, unable to be found, unable to do anything unless somebody reaches down and rescues us. Unless Christ rescues us. All we can do is wait for Jesus to rescue us. And the entire burden for the rescue, really, in this story, rests upon the woman. The coin did nothing in order to be found. It was entirely the action of the woman who, that found the coin. And the image of the efforts of the shepherd and the woman, I think, beautifully illustrates exactly what Jesus does in our salvation. But the point is, we are still responsible to repent. We can't sit back and say, well, Lord, it's, it's all up to you. We still need to repent. It's the same side. It's a different side of the same coin. Jesus says that being found is an, is an illustration of repentance. Clearly, that's what the passage is saying here. It's not God that needs to repent. It is us who need to repent. Jesus in this passage displays the, the lavish love of God for sinners who do repent. And what he's saying is, your heavenly Father is more willing to forgive you, a sinner who deserves to be judged, than you are to ask Him to forgive you. And your heavenly Father is, is more willing to be gracious to you than you are to repent. Jesus is telling us here that God rejoices over sinners who repent precisely to encourage us to embrace and own who it is that we know we are. We are sinners who deserve to be judged for our sins. We are sinners who need to confess our sins. The scripture tells us without the confession of our sins, there is no forgiveness. But we can come to Him for mercy because God rejoices, God delights in the repentance of sinners. And that's what this passage is pressing on us this morning. It's pressing on repentance. And Jesus says there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you repented? Have you repented? Remember the Pharisees, they looked upon the tax collectors and the sinners that Jesus was meeting with as unworthy. But they did not look upon themselves as sinners in need of Christ's forgiveness. They did not look at themselves as unworthy. They were quick to judge others, but very slow to judge their own hearts. They thought of themselves as righteous and Jesus in this passage is, is stressing that he receives sinners. He came to heal the sick. He receives sinners. And that is so important for us to understand. Matthew Henry, a Christian commentator, I read this week. I thought I would leave you with this, um, with this quote. He says, How careful then should we be that our repentance is unto salvation. Let me repeat that again. 
How careful then should we be that our repentance is unto salvation? And this is, and here Jesus is illustrating for us a serious spiritual problem. You know, the good news is not good news until you understand the bad news first. And until you understand the bad news for yourself, until you understand your own need, there will be no repentance. And in this passage, it's clear that the, the tax collectors and sinners who are coming to fellowship with him, they understood. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. They wanted to be taught by the master. They were ready to humble themselves and to hear this message. And they are hanging on every word. But not the Pharisees, not the scribes. They're not listening because they don't understand their need. So I ask you again this morning, do you understand your need? How careful should we be that our repentance is unto salvation? I think it's so easy to ask God for help when we're in trouble, isn't it? It's so easy to say sorry to God when, when bombs are blasting over our heads. There's a phrase for that, foxhole conversions. Everybody becomes a Christian in a foxhole when there is trouble, when there are trials. But is our, is our repentance unto salvation? Have we truly acknowledged our sinful condition before a holy God and asked Him to forgive our sins? Do we see our need? Do we understand our need? Or do we behave like these self-righteous Pharisees who are not willing to judge their own hearts, but very quick to judge others. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite commentators, he says this about this passage, which I wanted to read to you this morning. He says, Do we have a sense of our own sin? Do we feel bad and wicked and guilty and deserving of God's anger? Is the remembrance of our past lives of sin bitter to us? Does the recollection of our past conduct make us ashamed? Then we are the very people who ought to apply to Christ just as we are. Pleading nothing of our own. Making no useless delay. And Christ will receive us graciously and pardon us freely and give us eternal life because He is one that receives sinners. Let me conclude this all this morning. Let me leave you with one last application here. Now, one of the signs that we have been found by Jesus is that we repent of our sins. We don't make excuses for them. A lost sinner is in the wilderness of this world and may be unaware of the, the danger that is, that is all about. A lost sinner is truly without hope. But when Jesus finds lost sinners and brings us safely home, we turn from our own ways and we happily do what God commands us to. Jesus is the good shepherd. And having been found by him, our now new desire is to live a life in obedience to him. Jesus has chosen us, folks.
If you're a Christian this morning, if you've been found by the Lord, He has chosen us. He has gone out to find us. And we are now His representatives on this earth. He has left us here with a purpose. And I mentioned this last week. And I think Jesus is, is using these parables really to teach the people that are listening to Him these very important truths. Jesus has given us a command to go and tell others of the merciful Savior who graciously pardons and receives sinners. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 with me. Let me read these words that the Apostle Paul wrote under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, All this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you have your Bibles, please underline that. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, which means in Christ God was in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Not much commentary is needed there, folks. That is, that is a very plain command. You see, most people have no idea how valuable their soul is or that their soul is even lost. You know, they treat their souls the same way as, as our luggage was treated um, at who knows what airports. With not much care. They do not have a clue that their soul is going to live forever. And unfortunately that forever is going to be spent in pain. In a real place called hell. If they do not repent of their sins. They don't, they don't understand how valuable their souls are. But we do. As Christians we do. We know the value God puts on one soul. We know the effort God takes to find one lost sinner. And if God puts in that much effort, so should we. Where is our treasure? And when we say we love and care somebody, it has to include loving and caring about souls. We need to love what God loves. We need to hate what God hates. We need to delight in what causes God to rejoice. And God delights in the repentance of sinners. The story goes that a, a young man applied for a, a job as an usher at a theater in a, in a mall. And the manager asked him, what would you do in case a fire breaks out? And the young boy answered. He said, don't worry about me. I'll get out okay. And I think that's how we respond sometimes. What would you do if Jesus came back tomorrow? Oh, don't worry about me. I'll be okay. We unfortunately have the same attitude as this usher, the boy who wanted to be an usher. And our job is to help people escape the coming judgment. Our job is not just to think about ourselves. 
but to help people remember that Jesus is coming to judge the sinners. And our task is to find these people who are like these lost coins and, and point them to the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. Let us do this with diligence so that we can rejoice with Jesus in the salvation of the lost. Amen? I didn't hear amen. Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this reminder again this morning. This, 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 sorry, this is such an important reminder that you value souls and that you delight in the repentance of sinners. Lord, we pray that you would help us to love what you love. Help us to delight in the repentance of sinners. Help us to be intentionally doing what you have asked us to do, looking and helping people, pointing them to Jesus Christ, looking for those who are lost, loving them enough to be able to tell them what Jesus has done for them. Lord, thank you for sending somebody to tell me and share the gospel with me. Lord, I will for, for eternity be grateful. But Lord, I pray that you, all of us who have received this this wonderful message of reconciliation, we will be faithful ambassadors, reaching out to others who still need to be reconciled. Please, Lord, we ask that we wouldn't just be a, a nominal religious church, but that we would be a people that love the gospel, that love your salvation, and are ready to share it with the world, unashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, give us a heart for the lost. And give us a love for your salvation, a love for your son. Please, Lord, if we, are, if we are flickering cold this morning, as David prayed, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. And Lord, may you receive all the glory this week by our response. We ask this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.